This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. So here is the title of our message this morning. <clears throat> it is titled, Keys to Overcoming Depression. At some point, we all do, we face depression in our lives. Maybe more than one time, maybe a number of times, maybe some have lost count how many times they faced depression. And you know, in Christian circles, most people don't really like to identify with that. They don't like to talk about that because we are meant to be people of faith. And so people of faith are not supposed to be facing this kind of thing. So they say anyway. And I think because of that, many fake it until they make it. And because they fake it, <laughs> you know, they never get ministered to. They never seek out ministry. They're too shy to seek out ministry. I know that oftentimes leaders, church leaders, people in ministry uh, are very reluctant to, to even admit the fact that they are facing depression. But yet, in the years past alone, not besides <laughs> decades before that, but in just in the last couple of years, if you keep up with Christian news, you will find and you'll remember that there are many wonderful gospel ministers that have taken their lives, that, that have the depression has gotten the best of them and they're no longer there because it is a serious thing. And I think most of us, like I say, most that are willing to admit, face it. And I think we, <clears throat> and I think we need to talk about it. We need to inform ourselves. We need to see what God has to say about it. We need to see what the wonderful Word of God has to say about it so that A, we can be informed and B, we can know what to do about it when we face it and how to confront it, how to deal with it. Because let's face it, it's a very real thing. And so <clears throat> this morning, before I continue with that though, because remember we're talking about keys to overcome depression. I want to share with you some keys that Jesus shared while he was here on earth with the people listening to him one time when he was sharing with them, preaching to them. He shared some powerful keys, two simple keys that he shared with them about overcoming depression. Now, when you look at the Bible and you look at the Word of God, you actually don't find the word depression. That's something that we've come up with, that we've identified, but it's a real thing as we know it. And so the Bible talks about despair. It talks about it in different forms, but when you look at it, it's the same thing. It's depression. And so let me say right up front, let me give you this little disclaimer. <laughs> I am not claiming to be a professional mental health uh, professional at all. But what I want to share with you today is biblical aspects on overcoming depression. And the basis of that, or what I based it on, is from my own experience. <clears throat> my own experience, not only personally, and having faced it personally many times, and I'll admit that to you, I have faced it many times. Sometimes it's been so awful that I felt like just leaving the planet. And so I'm not going to be too shy to say that. So what I'm sharing with you, I'm sharing it from my own experience, but also not just personally, but also my own experience as a pastor, as a minister of to others. I have ministered many people who have been at the brink of depression, at the brink of basically, for the lack of a better word, taking their own lives because they couldn't handle 
depression. So I believe that that experience, not only personal, but as a minister, but also knowing in the Word of God and listening to the Spirit of God, uh, I believe that this message will be a blessing to you. But like I say, in no way am I saying that this is the fix of all. I believe that it is, but we need to connect with the things of God and God Himself. Amen. And so <clears throat> let me say a few things about depression. So we need to know what it looks like first. We need to understand it. We need to see if there's any aspect of it in our lives. Because the honest truth, as far as I am concerned, in my experience, whenever I have faced it, I've only realized that I was depressed or facing depression after I was in it. Uh, now I'm able to identify it before the time. Now I'm able to stop it before it attacks me. But it took some learning and you know, ministry by the Holy Spirit and God to help me see that and understanding the Word of God. But many times, especially in my younger days, I didn't realize that I was in depression or facing depression when I was already in there. And so that's one of the reasons, too, why I want to share this with you. So <clears throat> when we think about depression, depression is characterized by persistent feelings of sadness. Now notice, I didn't say it's just being sad. I mean, if you feel sad, that doesn't mean you're depressed. I'm talking about persistent. It's ongoing. It's chronic, as we say in the world today. So it's characterized by persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness and a lack of interest or pleasure in activities. So that's how you can define depression today. It is the persistent, persistent feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and a lack of interest or pleasure in activities. In other words, it's just like the person is there, but they're not really there. They're just shutting down. They've shut down. That's what I'm saying here. And depression <coughs> goes beyond the normal ups and downs that we face in everyday life. I mean, you know, some days we something happens and we feel sad, but we get over it. We move on. Things change. Sometimes we feel a moment of hopelessness just because we can't get something right or do something. But then it goes away. But depression is something that goes beyond the normal ups and downs. <clears throat> now, in a moment, I'm going to help you because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through 12 signs of depression. I know that's 10 fingers, so plus two. 12 signs of depression. And I believe, and it's not because I want you to identify yourself with it, but I think it's going to help us just fine-tune our knowledge, our ability to identify it and see it for what it is. And I'm going to put those on the screen so you can see them and follow along with me. So we're just going to go through them real quick <coughs> because I want to get to the core of our message today. So let me share with you 12 signs of depression as expressed by our professionals out there and professional resources out there. And so this is how you can identify if perhaps you're in the midst of depression, if you're face, facing depression, and how to identify it and how to know. And then what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to share with you the keys that Jesus shared on how to overcome depression. And he gave us some very powerful, simple keys. And I believe that they will bless you today. All right, so let's talk about the signs of depression. Here's number one. Sign number one of depression. It is persistent sadness or low mood. What does that look like? It's feeling sad, down, or empty for most of the day, nearly every day. So that's 
the first sign that we see there. All right. Second sign that we see, loss of interest or pleasure. In other words, this is what it looks like. It's a noticeable decrease in interest or enjoyment in activities that were once pleasurable. So just lose interest in any of that. Sign number three, changes in sleep patterns, insomnia, that is the difficulty falling or staying asleep, or the opposite, which is hypersomnia, which is excessive sleep. You just want to sleep the whole time because that's the way you switch yourself off and get out of the situation that you're in. That's the third um, sign of depression. Fourth sign of depression, changes in appetite or weight. In other words, significant weight loss or gain or changes in appetite. You just start eating differently, start eating less or start eating more. So it goes either way, but that's a sign of depression. The fifth sign of depression, fatigue or loss of energy. And what that looks like is <coughs> you're feeling tired and lacking energy even after a full night's sleep. That's another sign of depression. The sixth sign of depression, feelings of worthlessness or guilt. In other words, persistent feelings of worthlessness, self-blame or excessive guilt. It's just ongoing and all the time. Seventh sign of depression is difficulty concentrating or indecisiveness. In other words, <coughs> a person has trouble focusing, they have trouble making decisions, or even remembering things, things that they would normally remember otherwise. That's the seventh sign of depression. The eighth sign of depression <coughs> is psychomotor changes. In other words, these are observable changes in physical activity, such as a slowed movement or restlessness. In other words, just in general, begin to operate slower than usual. Can you see how all these things basically show, for the lack of a better word, it's just a person shutting down, just switching off from everything around them. Okay, so the ninth <coughs> sign of depression is irritability. In other words, feeling easily irritated or agitated, even over small matters. The smallest and le least important of things just snaps them. They snap at that, basically. The tenth symptom of uh, depression, the, uh, they are physical symptoms. In other words, things like headaches, stomach aches, or other physical complaints without apparent medical cause. In other words, they may go to a doctor and get themselves checked out. And the doctor says, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what that's about. We don't know why that pain is there. Why are you feeling it? Why are you experiencing it? We don't know why these headaches are there. They do tests and there's no answer. There's no conclusive answer. Well, <coughs> generally it's the body reacting to depression. The 11th sign of depression is social withdrawal. In other words, you don't want to be around your friends. You don't want to be around your family. You don't want to attend social activities. You just don't want to be around people because they're going to spark all those other symptoms that we spoke about, all those other signs. And so you withdraw from society, from, from your social circles. And then the 12th sign <coughs> of depression is recurrent thoughts of death. This is when it gets real extreme and concerning. 
And if ever we see anyone in this situation, we need to find a way to get them help if we can help them ourselves. It's recurring thoughts of death. In other words, think about dying. It's suicidal ideation. In other words, ideas of suicide or suicide attempts. They may even try it. You may not even know, but they may even try it. So there we see <coughs> 12 signs of depression. This is how we can naturally, from a humanistic point of view, identify depression. Now, this is a very real thing. People face it. Most of us have probably faced it. And like I've said to you in the beginning, I have faced <coughs> depression many times. And until <laughs> God, by His grace, you know, <coughs> enlightened me with His Word and the Gospel, many, many times, I only realized that I was in it after I was in it. And so, it's not pleasurable. It's not something that, we, that you enjoy. It's not something that you want to go through because your whole being just reacts negatively to the whole thing. It actually just makes life more miserable than what it already feels. And this is why we want to share this with you today. I'm not making the assumption that you are, but maybe you are, then this is for you. Or if you've been, I believe this is going to help you understand uh, and see where you were actually at. And it's going to equip us not only to help us in the future, not get caught up in it, but also to help others and those around us. Amen. We need to know how to identify depression. And I've just given you some signs and symptoms. And you can go back to this and you can watch it. You can listen to this again and you can see it all for yourself. But we need to know how to identify depression. And so that's why we did what we just did there. But we also need to know how to overcome it. That's the bigger part of it. How to identify it so we don't get caught up in it. And if we are caught up in it, how to overcome it and get out of it. We need to know that. And so this is what we're going to share with you today. So firstly, we need to understand that the battle against depression is a spiritual one. Now I know some people will argue that. And the, the more they are into, you know, humanism and and us doing things for ourselves and not trusting God and not involving God, they will argue many things. And yes, there are there's this clinical depression and there's that depression. At the end of the day, <coughs> depression is depression. I've, I've given you the signs of how to identify it. But what we need to do is understand, like anything else we face in this world, because it's a fallen world influenced by evil. <coughs> At the end of the day, anything that is not edifying, building up, that is not godly, is designed and brought in by evil. Evil is behind it. And so what we need to understand is, is that the battle against depression is a spiritual one. That's where we begin to um, fight up the battle, if you will. We already have victory in Jesus, but that's where we enforce the victory that we have in Jesus, in the spirit realm. Now, someone may say, well, I need to see that in Scripture. I'm going to show you one. That's one that we're all familiar with. You remember King Saul. Saul was the first king that the people wanted, the people of Israel. Even though God's intention was never for them to have a king because he was their king, they said, no, we want to be like all the other you know, worldly nations. We want to have a king of our own. So God gave them a king. But he warned them and he told them, he's going to oppress you. He's going to take you young men and recruit them for his army. He's going to charge you taxes. He's going to do all kinds of things to you. But they said, nonetheless, we want that. So God appointed the first king, which was Saul. And Saul, you know, even though he started off well, <coughs> he, his heart turned evil. He turned against God. 
he disobeyed God and he just began to do his own thing. You know, kingship went to his head, I guess, and he began to just ignore God. And so as a result, <coughs> God lifted his anointing from him and appointed a new king, which was David. And, you know, he tried to kill David and all kinds of things. And we don't want to get into that. But I want to show you how Saul, when he eventually, when God eventually lifted his anointing from him and took his spirit from him, how the only thing that was left <coughs> is for the devil to bring in depression and attack Saul with depression. Watch this now. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts it because they actually accurately from the original bring this truth across. So watch this now in 1 Samuel 16 verse 14 from the New Living Translation. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. See, God had enough. It was just, it was done. Because he rejected, Saul rejected God, basically. <clears throat> so the Spirit of God left him. Then it says, And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him, watch this, with depression and fear. Now I want to clear something up here while we see that. It says there that the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. If you look at the original Hebrew, it actually doesn't say that God sent it. What it does say and what it should say is, is that because God took, lifted his spirit from Saul, that an evil spirit was allowed to bring in the consequence of him no longer having the spirit of God. Now remember, Saul lived under the law. And so he was judged by the law. And the law basically said is, if you have any, any other gods, then <laughs> that's it, he broke the first commandment. And so this tormenting spirit wasn't sent by God. God wasn't playing tag team with the devil because he doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt anyone with evil and he doesn't do evil himself. But it was basically the consequence of Saul rejecting God that left him open to evil spirits to attack him. And that's what this is saying. So God had no choice but to allow it by Saul's decision. And so this tormenting spirit came, but notice it attacked him. It filled him with depression and fear, it says there. It says that very clearly right there. And so you can see that because it was a tormenting spirit, this is why I'm saying to you that we need to understand that the battle against depression is a spiritual one. Whenever depression comes along, I can tell you, based on what we've seen there, and I'm going to show you another verse in a moment, but I can tell you that it is demonic forces, evil forces, behind that depression that are trying to torment you. That's their goal, because they are going to be tormented, and they are tormented themselves. So all they can do is torment those whom God loves. And so an evil spirit comes and to torment fill someone with depression. Their goal is to make that person totally depressed and eventually take their own life because they hate you. That's why. But we need to understand that the battle against depression is a spiritual one. You've seen it right there. I've just shown you. Now, let me show you 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. Watch what it says here. It says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. So in other words, what Paul is saying here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though we face people in situations here on earth, 
we need to understand that those attacks are spiritual and therefore because they are spiritual we need to use the spiritual weapons god has given us in and through jesus to overcome those worldly attacks that we face here on earth so it's a general concept that he's bringing across which does apply to depression as well so when we face depression like i said we need to understand that it's a spiritual battle and so we need to address this thing in the spirit realm with the weapons God has given us. <clears throat> now you may say, well, what does that look like? Do I need to pray in tongues? Do I need to? It's good to do all of those things. But more than that, what I'm saying is, is that you already have victory in Jesus through the finished work of the cross. So it behooves us to then enforce that victory that we have in Jesus when we face depression. And you're going to see Jesus gave us some keys there to help us know how to do that and what it looks like. So I'm going to share that with you. But that's the first thing that I want to make sure we understand. Because in the world today, and even amongst believers and Christians, they've adopted all this secular thinking, this secular mindset, you know, that this is not a spiritual thing, this is a genetic thing, and this is and, and there's some truth to all of that, I guess. There's no proof, there's no scientific proof about all that, but you know, there's assumptions. But at the end of the day, what you and I as believers need to understand that any attack against us ultimately has an evil root to it, has an evil force behind it. Because if there was no evil, if there was no fall, there would be no depression. Depression is the result of evil, right? And so we need to understand, as I've shown you, that it was a tormenting spirit that filled Saul with depression and attacked him. And in actual fact, <coughs> I was looking at some historical records that were written by historians that are not in the Bible, but are supplemental to the Bible, if you will, just historical general things of people way back then, some records that they found. And I found, I, I actually was reading some of those commentaries and apparently saw when that had happened, when that tormenting evil spirit came <coughs> and filled him with depression and fear, apparently he became so paranoid. And you know when we saw those 12 signs of depression? He basically lived them all to the max. Uh, it was horrible, apparently. But anyway, so <coughs> that's the first thing we need to understand. Now, secondly, what we need to understand, too, is, is that how we respond to life's struggles can either lead us into depression or it can keep us out of depression. Did you hear what I said? I said how we respond to life's struggles will either lead us into depression or it will keep us out of depression. How we respond is key and it matters. So what I'm going to do to show you that, to prove that point to you and to show you those keys, we're going to read a portion that Jesus himself shared while he was here on earth from Matthew chapter 6. We are going to read verse 25 to 34 and then I'm going to point out those keys that he shared with us. But remember, what I'm showing you here, what I'm backing up here is this statement. That how we respond to life's struggles will either lead us into depression or it will keep us out of depression. Or it will keep depression out of our lives. That's where the first key is, is how we respond to life's struggles. When things don't go like we want them to go, are we going to get depressed or are we going to look beyond that and trust God. 
That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Because depression is generally caused by the things we face. If we didn't face any bad things, we probably wouldn't face depression. And we all have different things that we face through life. You know, sometimes as we're growing up, we realize that, you know, <laughs> we were facing something all along. And now that we know that it's there, we understand better. But now what do we do with it? You know, just that different kind of thing. And so <coughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Let's read it first from the King James. And then I'm going to go back and point out those keys that Jesus gives us right there. But let's just remind ourselves of what this is about. Here we go. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? In other words, more than food and more than clothing. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into bonds, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not more, much more, much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add a one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which to the, today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Hmm. Then he goes on and he says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whither well shall we be clothed? <coughs> For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's the type of the unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Isn't that powerful? Prophetically, it's basically saying is, go and seek who you are and what you have in Jesus, and all these things will come as a result. Then he says in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for, tomorrow, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, <clears throat> you know, I've heard some people, some atheists in actual fact, comment about what we've just read and what Jesus said. And they say, see, he was careless. He didn't care. He was teaching people to be irresponsible and not care about the things that they face and take care of the things that they need to do. And he wasn't saying that at all. He wasn't saying, don't go to work, be lazy, do nothing, just trust God. And I know there's some people that take that to that extreme, it's silly. But he wasn't saying that. What he was really saying is, is put your focus, your faith, your confidence and your trust in God. Because ultimately, He is the only one who can take care of you and He will take care of you. I mean, why would He say that if it wasn't true, right? But in, that, in the midst of what Jesus shared there, shared there with us about that, it says that he gives us two keys to help us avoid getting into depression. Now remember, I said what I want to show you here is, is that how we respond to the things we face in life 
will either lead us into depression or it will keep us out of depression. And basically, Jesus shared that with us in that portion. Let me show you the first thing that I want to highlight here that he shared with us. Matthew 6 verse 25. Watch what he says. He said, Therefore, I say unto you, watch what he says next. It's emboldened. Take no thought for your life. For what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for, the, for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the, uh, and the body more than raiment. But notice, take no thought. So let me ask you a question. <coughs> How do you take something? When someone gives you something, when someone offers you something, when they bring a gift to you, what do you do? You take it, right? You make it your own. And notice how Jesus said there, let's put that back on the screen. Watch what he said. He said, take no thought. In other words, thoughts are going to come. Thoughts are going to be there. The enemy is going to fire those thoughts that he wants to lead to depression. He's going to fire those thoughts at you. Your natural fallen body is going to bring thoughts into the picture. The situations that you see, that you hear, they're going to bring thoughts. They're going to present you with thoughts. But he says, don't take them. <laughs> In other words, don't own them. Don't make them your own. Don't take them. You see, one of the, very, one of the other things we need to understand about depression is, is that the battle is in the mind because it is thinking, overthinking. It's taking thoughts that we shouldn't take, that when we take them, lead us into depression. And so that's why Jesus said right there, he says, thoughts are going to come, but don't take them. Because if you take them, then they become yours. You own them. Now <coughs> they can work in your life and through your life. So that's the first thing that he said is take no thought. In other words, not everything that comes into our mind is our own thought. Not everything that gets deposited in our mind as a thought is something we've come up with. You know, the devil can put thoughts in our mind. He did it with Jesus. He, made it, he tried to make him question the fact that he was the Son of God. He's done that throughout time. He can try and deposit thoughts. Our fallen body can try. You know, when we see something, we can just, out of the knowledge we have, the experience we have, we can think certain things. If we see two people that we are friendly with, they're talking there, and one of them looks at you, not realizing that they were just looking, and your mind will tell you, see, they're talking about you. Can you really trust them? That doesn't mean that it's a thought that you need to take and own. <laughs> so just because we think it, it doesn't mean that we need to own it. That's what Jesus was saying there. He's saying, don't take every thought that comes your way. And in this case, he says, don't take the thoughts that are going to lead you to worry, stress, and anxiety, because that is going to lead to depression. I'm running ahead of myself here, but let me show you something here. Let me show you that same portion in, how the in the Amplified translation and how the Amplified actually puts it, which will help us see why and understand why he told us not to take those thoughts. <coughs> Matthew 6.25 from the Amplified. Watch this. He says, Therefore I tell you, <laughs> stop being worried or anxious. See, that's how you take thoughts. And I've looked at the original. It's pretty accurate. He says, stop being worried or anxious. In other words, that's how you take 
thoughts. When you start worrying about something, you've taken that thought. When you start being anxious and getting anxiety about something, you've taken the thought. And then it qualifies and it says, perpetually uneasy, distracted about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, know about your body, as to what you will wear, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? So, but I want to focus on the emboldened portion here. That's what it means to take thought. It means to accept the worry and to take the anxiety. In other words, what Jesus is showing us here is that the way that you can identify that you've taken ownership of a thought is when you start worrying about it and you start getting anxious about it. That means that you've taken the thought and you've owned it and now it's working its way in you and it's going to work its way through you. And ultimately, it's going to lead into depression. That's why he said, don't take it. So the right there we see that he tells us not everything that comes to our mind in the sense of a thought is something we should take. If it's not positive, if it's not edifying, if it's not something good, as if it's not something beneficial, we don't have to take it. Now, do we need to reason things out and work things out to get through life? Yes, but don't own them. Don't take them. In other words, when you start worrying about it, when you start getting anxious about it, you've done what Jesus told you not to do. He said, stop doing it. Don't do it. Right? I hope that that's making sense. So you see that the battle is in the mind. You see, depression starts with thinking. That's something else that we see here. If there is no thoughts, there's going to be no depression. It begins with thinking, overthinking, taking the thoughts that we shouldn't take. This is why I always caution people, careful what you see, what you hear about yourself, what you see. I mean, one of the things that people laugh at me, people mock me for what I do. But for example, when I'm watching television, if I'm watching something that was pre-recorded, if I'm watching the news, and as you know, these days, most of the advertisements, the advertising, is all about medical things. And I'm glad that they're finding solutions for people, but how many of those are actual solutions? Because at the end, in the bottom, the bottom of the small text, or the second half or more of the ad, they tell you all about the side effects that can kill you. And so when those come on, I mute my television. Why? Because I don't want that stuff going into my head because I don't want to give myself the opportunity to take those thoughts because then I'll start worrying about it and I'll start getting anxious about it. And I'll give you an example. You see something about, for example, about, uh, I don't know, I don't even know what those conditions are. But then you start thinking, hmm, I've been feeling those things. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And you start worrying about it. And then the next day you start getting anxious about it. Let me do more research and let me go start looking and see just to make sure. You think you've been wise, but you don't realize what you've done. You've taken that thought and now it's manifesting through worry and anxiety, meaning that you've owned it and now it's going to lead you to depression. You see, that's what I'm talking about. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, don't take those thoughts, rather trust God, ultimately. If worry and anxiety were helpful, Jesus would not have told us to stop it. He wouldn't have told us to not to take the thought. Isn't that so? I know. I've had some people argue with me. You see, worry is good because worry helps you trust God. It helps you recalibrate, <laughs> one person told me. This is anxiety is good because it just shakes you up. Really? <laughs> That's why Jesus told you to stop it and not own it? 
because it's no good. It will do nothing for you. Worry and anxiety only make things worse. Yes, <laughs> of course. So the next question then we have to ask is Jesus told us not to take thought. And I've explained it now already. But how do we take no thought then? How do we not take those thoughts? What is the practical thing? Well, we've already seen when you find yourself worrying about something or getting anxious about something, it's a sign that you've taken it. But there's also a way that we can actually officially, if you will, take the thought. It's how we can know that we've actually owned it. Not just through anxiety and worry, but there's an actual process of how we do it. And he gives us the answer in verse 31 of that same portion. So Matthew 6.31, it's the same portion. Jesus said this, Therefore, listen to this carefully because it's in there. Therefore, take no thought. And then he says this, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we, uh, whether all shall we be clothed? You remember we saw that? So the way that we take thought is by saying, is what he's saying. So firstly, we take no thought by not thinking about it, not allowing it to get into our minds. Secondly, we take no thought by not voicing those negative things that try to get into our mind. That's basically what he's showing us there. You see, it goes back to trusting God and keeping our eyes on Him daily and consistently. Amen. But Matthew 6 verse 34, I want to show you that verse from the message translation now. Watch how it puts it in light of what I've shared with you so far. He says, Jesus says here, Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Isn't that a wonderful promise from God? He says, live in your now. Deal with your now. In other words, don't take ownership of those thoughts now. God will help you take care of the rest and what is to come, is what he says. Right? In other words, he's saying, trust God. One day at a time, one step at a time. Right? Look at how the Passion Translation puts it. I love it. It's pretty phenomenal. Watch how it puts it. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. What does refuse mean? Don't do it. Don't accept it. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way. That's talking about the now. Watch this. One day at a time, tomorrow will take care of itself. See that? So to refuse means to reject, right? He says reject it. It means to be, to refuse means to be unwilling to be a part of it. Isn't that so? In other words, refuse to be a part of it is what he's saying. And that's what he meant when he said, take no thought. When he said, don't say it. That's how you refuse it. In other words, don't let worry and anxiety make their nest in your mind. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying the birds are going to fly and they're going to try and make a nest. Birds as in thoughts. The thoughts are going to fly around your head and they're going to try and make a nest in your head. Don't let them do that. Reject them. Don't take them. Right? And then, furthermore, as I've shown you in verse 31, he said, don't voice any of it. Right? He says, take no thought saying. 
In other words, don't own those thoughts by saying them, by speaking them. And some people, you know, <laughs> again, I've had people argue with me and say, well, I'm just a realist, Pastor. I'm just going to tell you exactly how it is because that's reality. Yeah, but that's why we walk by faith and not by sight, right? Because we're not supposed to voice those things. Because when you voice it, it's also evidence that you've owned it. So if you were watching some ad and you started worrying and, and you're getting anxious about it, you've now taken the thought. And now when you say, maybe, just maybe I'm dealing with it because I've had those things. By voicing it, you've just sealed the deal and made it your own completely. Amen. I mean, it's pretty powerful. You see, and this is one of the reasons why when it comes to depression, the devil likes to isolate people. Isn't that so? People who experience those 12 symptoms and more, generally, they isolate themselves. It's all about isolation. And you know, the devil loves doing that. Evil loves doing that. They love isolation. Oh, you see, nobody understands me. I speak to these people and they just give me faith and they just show me the word and they tell me to listen to Pastor Marco's message. I just wish someone would listen to me. Someone would just hear me without judging me. You see, that's humanism. That's the flesh wanting to be pacified. We need to decide, are we going to rise up and be people of faith and be believers as we claim to be? Or are we going to just go with the world, right? And I'm speaking to myself here. But you see, the devil likes to isolate people. Why? So they can own his thoughts and his provocations, which will lead them into depression. That's why he isolates them, right? Most times, I know myself, whenever I have dealt with depression, I have felt very lonely, I wanted to be very lonely, and I felt like no one understood me, no one was going to understand me, so I wasn't even going to try and tell anyone anything because people just don't get me. They just don't know what I'm going through. They're just ignorant. <laughs> See, that's isolation. And that's what the devil loves doing. I mean, think in, in Mark chapter 5, we read about the demon-possessed man who, has, who was possessed by a legion, by so many demons, right? And when Jesus came upon that island, how was that man living? In caves, all by himself, isolated. And look at how he got possessed by demon after demon after demon. I mean, that man was in horrible depression. That's why he was so possessed. And I'm not saying that everyone who deals with <laughs> depression is possessed, okay? Don't, don't take that to another extreme here. But that's the whole idea is he wants to isolate you. You see, whenever you're attacked, don't let the devil isolate you. Whenever he tries to get you to take those thoughts and voice them and get worried and anxious about it, worrisome and anxious about it, he wants to isolate you because, and you know, the way that he does it is by accusing you. Didn't Jesus himself said in the book of Revelation, he is the accuser of the brethren. His name, Satan, in the Hebrew means the accuser. He's the one who accuses. The only way he can get you to take those thoughts is by accusing you. By saying, see, it's your genes. It's your people. It's where you come from. It's what's happened to you. It's what you've done. It's this and that. <laughs> Don't let him do that. Hebrews 11, verse 1, watch this. <coughs> it says, watch what I've emboldened here. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When does faith operate? In the now. Notice both now 
and the word is abode in the present tense. You see, that's why Jesus said, deal with where you are now. <laughs> Tomorrow has worries of its own. Deal with today. In other words, take no thought today. Don't voice it today. Fight today. Enforce your victory today. Make sure that today you don't let the devil get you into depression by isolating you. Today. Deal with today because that's where you are living. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. In other words, living the now and take care of the now is what he's saying. And I mean, think about this. I'm going to say some of the things that I've written here. Worry and anxiety have to do with the future. Isn't that so? If you're worrying and you're anxious right now, it's not about the present. <laughs> it's because you fear what's to come. It's because you are concerned about what's to come, right? So worry and anxiety deal with the future. So why do you want to do that? Because you're not living there, you're living here, right? Is this making sense? <laughs> Someone's getting me here. Now, think about that. So let me say that again. Worry and anxiety have to do with the future. What are you doing in the future? You're not even there. And then, guilt, shame, and condemnation have to do with the past, right? So if you carry that, what are you doing living in the past, <laughs> right? But you see, faith and trust in God have to do with the present. That's why now faith is. Faith and trust have to do with the present. The only place where you are currently alive and live. This is why it behooves us to live by faith in God and trust in God. It's the only things that can make a real true impact today. In other words, I'm not going to take those thoughts. I'm not going to voice those things because I'm not going to let the devil isolate me and attack me and torment me with depression. No, I am not going to do that. See, worrying and getting anxious just prepares <laughs> you for the future, a horrible future. Carrying guilt, shame and condemnation just drags your past into, in, into or tries to into your present. Why? <laughs> this is why he doesn't want us living in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Romans 8, 1, he says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And then Jesus said, Don't worry or be anxious. In other words, just live by faith and trust God now. Amen? Those are the keys of how we overcome depression, how we keep off depression. Amen? And I mean, think about it. Which should we focus on? If worry and anxiety deal with the past, do you want to focus on that? If guilt, shame, and condemnation deal with your past, do you want to focus on that? Or if faith and trust in God deal with your present, which do you want to focus on? Obviously, faith and trust in God, because that makes a difference now. Amen? Now faith is, praise God. And I mean, we have a wonderful promise from God Himself about that. Watch us in Psalm 46, verse 1. <coughs> Watch what it says. God is our refuge and strength. Look at what it says next. A very present help in trouble. So we have a promise from God that He is present with us now, where we, where we need Him, where we are living, and He is there to help us now. Amen? So if we live in the now, we have a promise from God. He's here to help us now. Amen? You see, with hope, we trust God with our future. Yes? With gratitude, we trust God with our past. Thanking Him for redeeming us and forgiving us, right? 
but with faith we trust God with our present. Isn't that so? That's what we've seen here. That's why we need to focus on that. Let's end with Philippians 4 verse 8 from the Passion Translation. I love the way this puts it. It says, so keep your thoughts, look at that, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. Talking about spiritual realities and who we are and what we have in Jesus. Honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And, watch this, fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Look at those words that I've emboldened. Continually fix your thoughts on the things of God and fasten your thoughts on what God does. In other words, tie your thoughts to and keep them fixed on. <clears throat> See, this is how we keep depression off of our lives. This is how we make sure that we don't get caught up in depression. Amen? Powerful stuff. You see, we get to choose what we think about. So let us think about things that will lead us away from depression and not things that will lead us into depression. Amen? Praise God. We've run out of time, so I'm going to stop right there. I trust that that has blessed you. And I want to encourage you. <coughs> you may need to go and listen to this again when it becomes available on our website. I certainly want to listen to this again because some things came out that God was just speaking to me through my own mouth. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.